Hello and welcome everybody to Productivity Cast to episode 100, our live episode. <laughs> For those of you who are listening to the podcast, welcome back to Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things personal productivity. Uh, I'm Reese Sidney Smith. And I'm Augusto Pinot. I'm Francis Wade. <laughs> And I'm Art Gelwix. Uh, welcome, gentlemen, and welcome to everybody who is watching us live. Uh, what I wanted to do today in and in honor of our 100th episode, I can't believe we have gotten through this many episodes together, and uh, I'm very excited for us to have gotten to this milestone, uh, both at 50,000 downloads in under 100 episodes and now here at our 100th episode uh, and running. Uh, what I wanted to do is just cover a little bit about um, what has been kind of our most popular content uh, on the on so far. So some of you may not have listened to all 100 episodes as I have <laughs> in preparation for today. Uh, and then uh, when when uh, all of us kind of started in the process of uh, joining Productivity Cast and and doing this, uh, we each have come across in our past 100 episodes uh, some of our favorite episodes, and so I wanted us to kind of uh, go round robin and discuss maybe some of the uh, more favorite aspects of some of the episodes throughout that, and uh, then we'll close out with some of our uh, thoughts for um, what we might cover in future Productivity Casts, and maybe get some of your thoughts as well, because I'm sure that you all have some uh, suggestions maybe that you would like to hear from us uh, discuss in that category. So with that out of the way, um, let's talk about the first thing, which is what has been our, <laughs> Julie Bestry is noting uh, that you're muted is the catchphrase of 2020. You are absolutely right, Julie. <laughs> it is it is the thing that I feel like I say the most to people uh, in every Zoom meeting and every other kind of video chat meeting as well. Uh, but I, I thought this was really fascinating. And what I wanted to do was kind of cover the most uh, viewed episodes of all of our world. Uh, we distribute productivity casts, not just through the podcast, but also through YouTube and a number of different other channels, uh, because of that. And, uh, and what I, what I found was that the, uh, productivity cast itself ranks in the top 10 in, uh, global ranking according to listen notes. So, uh, my first and foremost thought is just thank you to all of you who listen and watch the episodes on YouTube and otherwise. I mean, you guys really have made this such a wonderful community and a wonderful aspect of, um, our week. Uh, you know, uh, Augusto, Francis and Art, uh, we, we get together every Monday morning and record. And it's the first experience I have of every week sitting down with these gentlemen and talking about personal productivity, something that we're all passionate about and uh, passionate about helping you all be more productive and spreading the word that people can have more uh, successful and uh, just stress-free lives uh, through implementing the strategies that we talk about that are not all ours, you know, where we're really standing on the shoulders of, of giants and sometimes standing on the shoulders of just everyday people who have had uh, great experiences and they've shared those experiences and then we share those with you. And uh, some of the topics that I just thought were really interesting. Uh, one is that our topic on indecision um, is by far our most listened to podcast episode and followed up by that is uh, the productivity planners episode. Uh, so if you have not listened to those two episodes, those by far are our our uh, highest listened to episodes uh, in terms of podcast episodes uh, followed um, just shortly behind that by personal Kanban. Now, if you combined episodes into topics, I just thought everybody would like to know that GTD is by far the most listened to topic listened to on the productivity cast world. And that doesn't make uh, that makes quite a bit of sense, uh, considering uh, the amount I talk about GTD all the time. 
Uh, but we have 13 episodes dedicated to getting things done and the various aspects of it. And so it makes a lot of sense that that ends up being uh, a quite a big uh, part of it. Uh, evening routines and morning routines are a big topic. So our bullet journal. Now, if we turn to YouTube, this is really fascinating to me because by far on YouTube, uh, the most listened to uh, episode is the one on mind mapping. It continues to skyrocket in terms of numbers. So something about YouTube and the people on YouTube uh, that just really love uh, to listen and learn about mind mapping. And, uh, and so mind mapping is the, is the biggest one, uh, that we have found on YouTube. Uh, so I just thought it would be interesting that if you have not listened to any of those episodes, it's full well worth listening to or, you know, uh, those episodes because they happen to be our most popular ones. So it must have been our best content, right? <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, with that in mind, let's, um, turn ourselves over to the topics of our favorite topics so far. And I'm going to turn it over to you, Art. What was your first favorite episode of our past 100 and why? It's interesting because when we started this exercise, we realized we were getting to 100 and going back and looking at some of the old episodes, I was trying to figure out which episodes got me the most fired up about the particular topic and also retains relevancy today. So the one of my top ones is episode 59. It's where we dove into the idea of open office plans and the benefits and the downsides of operating in an open office. And initially I'm like, well, does that even make sense anymore? Is that even remotely relevant, especially with where we are right now? And then I realized that, yes, it is totally, completely 100% relevant because so many of these open office layouts now we can't use. They aren't set up in a way that work with this new world that we're operating. And we have to start thinking about how does, how does this change where we are trying to get work done? And now we're going to go back to an environment that is completely altered from the way we left it. So digging into this idea of open office spaces to me is a continuing, ongoing, evolving conversation that we need to have, not only as the people who work in the environments, but the people who make the recommendation. And we have to start pursuing this even in more detail now. So this is one of those episodes that I love to go back and listen to because we haven't hit an answer for it yet. And I don't think we're going to anytime soon. It is interesting because that episode, the set of conditions that exist before that, that or assumptions we have when we record that episode, I'm not sure they even exist anymore. So we will need to go <laughs> from back to, to the drawing board and reconfigure things that even at this particular point, we don't know. Right. I. That's one of the things that jumped out at me. When we recorded it at that time, the client work I was doing, I was sitting at basically a communal table with five other people, 10 monitors across five people or 12 monitors across six people, just a tight, close-knit environment. And the way the office plan was laid out, you were in a spot and literally you could just reach over and touch the person next to you. You were that close. That's not going to be the case. And that's a completely different ball. And if we think about people who are now working remotely and then going back to that, those designs have to be reset. And if we're used to working certain ways in those environments, being able to lean over the person next to you and talk to them about something, that's not going to be the case anymore. So our productivity will naturally have to change as the geography 
of where we're working changes as well. Yeah, I definitely see this being interesting. Francis, go for it. Yeah, but don't, don't you think that there'll be, be a mini backlash when people go back to the office? Because I remember when I used to have a nine to five and I had a cubicle and the whole idea from working at home was that you did it because you needed to get work done. So you had something tough to do, something difficult or challenging, and you would make time for it by staying home. Some people used to fake um, being sick to stay home to do work because that's the only place they could do uh, have interrupted time and uninterrupted time and get into the flow state, do deep work, whatever. And I think when people come back to the office, when they come back to the nine to five, the everyday routine, I think they're going to realize that the quiet those who had it anyway, the quiet that they had at home is not replicated at the office. And they're going to ask for the kind of um, visual, visually and audibly quiet and restricted environments that they had at home. So I think there's going to be a backlash. That's a little on the driving to work. That's a whole nother, the commute. But I think it's also going to be applied. I to got the, into the this conversation last week with a colleague. And he brought up an interesting point that I, I think it's worth considering is that we're going to start to see the office environment as the place you go to work directly with other people. And that's the only reason to go there. Right now, it's you go there just because that's where work gets done. But we've seen since March, that's not the case. I mean, those of us who have worked from home before or worked remotely, we know that's nice. But I think it's been an eye-opening education for a lot of people who felt that the only way you could get something done was by coming into the office, working there, and then going back. But in an environment where you do need to work together, if you have to work together, almost going to almost a hoteling type of mindset where you reserve a room that's set up for a certain number of people in a space and you go in, you do the work session you need to. And when you come out, the room's disinfected, cleaned, reset for the next group. That's doable. If you're there all the time, it's not. You don't have that capability. So like I said, it'll be interesting to see the the organizations and the individuals and we change how we change how we want to do. Uh, Julie Bestry just posted in the comments, let's hope we hope open plan offices will go the way of the dodo. I couldn't agree more. There's nothing that makes my skin crawl more than an open plan office. It just, there are so many things wrong with it and so few benefits that to me, it's a waste of real estate. And I also think there's an important argument um, before we close out and move on, because we'll, we'll spend all day on each of these topics if we keep going. <laughs> Uh, but I, I did want to uh, raise the point that a part of this pandemic has really brought to the fore that diversity, equity, and inclusion needs to be a conversation had in physical office environments as well as in a digital environment and how we navigate that those waters and every organization. I mean, I, I really think of this as an organization development problem uh, to solve, which is that we need to really figure out how diversity, equity, and inclusion is uh, made to make people uh, more productive. We know that a more diverse uh, and inclusive environment is and will make for a more productive organization. And a lot of these conversations are now we're giving an opportunity. There's a forum for doing this now uh, because of the pandemic. And I hope that isn't lost on organizations and that we can really help to start bringing more people uh, into the fold. Uh, that includes, uh, you know, something very subtle that I, that an organization was doing. I can't remember which one it was, but I thought it was really powerful, which is that the organization was having meetings, but all meetings, even when in person with folks who were joining remotely, everyone joined remotely so that uh, they were able to, uh, all be on video, even if they were in the same building. That way, people who are away were also capable of having the same experience in the meeting room. And that's just like little 
interventions like that are really important and powerful to making sure that everybody feels included in conversations, uh, not just from a diversity perspective, but also just from giving everyone latitude. Uh, Peter's uh, noting here that um, his sales team is begging to come back into the office uh, and uh, and that um, they miss the interactions with their colleagues. And uh, that is absolutely true. I mean, I know that feeling myself. I, I absolutely feel the, the loss of connection with people. At the same time, I can also see some people who never want to go back into an office again and uh, and don't want to risk uh, the propagation of another pandemic, uh, right? Even if it's just uh, influenza for another year. You know, we lose um, hundreds of thousands of people uh, to influenza every year. Um, we could stop that spigot if people were working uh, in environments and if we kept up some of the uh, protocols, like, you know, maybe not face mask wearing post pandemic, but certainly washing your hands. I mean, really wash your hands. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's just some, some little things that are just great interventions for being able to, uh, you know, stop the transmission of these kinds of, uh, of, of viruses and, uh, other kinds of, uh, nasty bugs. Okay. Any big ticket items before we move on? All right. Let's, let's move on to, uh, Francis, your first episode, favorite episode of the past 100 and why? Well, it's really about the future because what I'm hearing from folks is that the email has gone from bad to worse as a result of the pandemic. So everyone is now subject to emails or many people are subject to emails that are coming out of hours and on weekends and the expectation that you will reply at any point in the evening or the weekend or on your holiday or on vacation has only gone up because of the pandemic. And I'm hoping there'll be a backlash. So once again, I'm back to the, the idea that having gotten used to a particular way of operating, going back to something, I think there, it's gotten worse and that folks will insist that it get better when they go back. Because when you're in the office, you at least have a sense of um, visual contact. You don't have to use email you can run into someone at the cooler. You can see if they're available at different points. If the office is busy, then you behave a certain way. But now that we're all separate and apart from each other, email is becoming the channel of preferred channel of communication for all communication. So it's replaced cooler talk and it's replaced casual talk. It's replaced notes on your desk. And I think I'm hoping that when people come back to the office, they'll insist that email is not a 24-7 uh, ideal. It's really best managed in certain times. And if all of us in the office can agree to send email at a particular time during the day and not to send time, uh, email at another time, uh, other times and to have expectations around how we manage email, I think more protocols would make life much easier. But I think the transition back we might bring a backlash where people insist on these protocols, I hope. I, I have not seen the change in email usage for myself. Uh, what I have seen is more people uh, navigating and gravitating toward the, you know, whatever tool of choice, say it's Slack, Teams, Google Chat, or otherwise. And and to a great extent, I've seen more and more organizations saying, can we have actually all of our communications that are project or task related inside of our tool? And of course, I'm, I'm you know, slapping my forehead because I'm like, yes, of course you could. You always could. You could do all of this in Trello. You could do all of this in Asana, in Workday, Rike. You name the project management tool. And most of them today allow for this kind of conversational thread capabilities. And that reduces the amount of email that needs to be uh, you know, spread across an organization, mostly inappropriately, mostly taking up people's time that's not necessary to. And now you can tuck those conversations away where they belong. So I'm really happy to see more people embracing that component of it. I'm really curious about the policy part, uh, Francis, and mm -hmm. more people 
embracing good email etiquette and good organizational email structure. Yeah, I would yeah. love to have to, to replace different accounts. I would love for there to be a technology that says whenever someone sends me a message anywhere, whether it's on Slack or even here on, on a chat like this, someone sends me a message on YouTube in the chat or someone sends me a message on Zoom, wherever a message is sent to me, that it's it comes to my one inbox. So that there's this huge collecting device out there and all my messaging comes to me in one place. Yeah, That's so the you're, other you're protocol that about, I'm hoping for. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're talking about Zapier or Ift. <laughs> <laughs> and they're, they're not up to you know they're not up to that level of oh yes they are i would i'll fully disagree with you i think i think I they could do everything add my disagreement in that one too yeah yeah i think, I think a lot of that too is not Chris. necessary though you don't you don't need to build a lot of external systems if you look at a lot of your normal systems you can get email notifications that somebody's sent you a chat or something like that and that's that's key but i this is not a tech problem in my book, if you have emails going out as part of a business and leadership and management and the powers that be are not communicating effectively that unless these emails are tied to some specific contractual service level agreement, that there's bad things that happen if they're not responded to in a certain period of time, then they better be setting the tone to say, what is the possible expectation of you receiving this email at seven o'clock at night and saying, yeah, you need to respond to that in a half hour. No, no, stop that. Stop doing that. Stop thinking that way. Stop acting that way. We got to get over that because that just dovetails back into the, you're not working if I can't stand over you and manage you. And again, you know, if if you want to go back to the 1800s and 1900s and manage and operate that way, feel free. I'm sure somebody would like you to make horseshoes for them. But (laughs) if if you want to join this in this century grow up when it comes to managing yeah uh, danny noted uh slack and asana have helped her company cut down email by 50 percent, which is oh, yeah. just remarkable that's that's phenomenal to say yeah anybody think- who lis- listens to me i'm a, you know i'm a microsoft guy and teams can teams can completely change an organization if you allow it to do it and you think about it properly and you put the right context around things it can change how an organization works from the ground up. And I think that's exactly the point. It is now that all these changes are happening, the time to for organizations to implement these changes is now, not when we come back, into mm-hmm. how we're going to make these changes. And really, the reason we have the emails of the emails of the emails is because we did not have a better way to do it, or we didn't know any other way. So it is a great time now to get into that and to get organizations to really start figuring out what... What is the channel? You know, one of the problems is you see many organizations that are using multiple channels instead of a centralized one. And that mm-hmm. in, instead of reduce the email, send, increase the number of emails because nobody knows where the information is coming out and coming in. Uh, right. but, it, but as Julie was saying, you know, Julie Bester was saying France has legislation, legislation forbidding expectations for company and France tend to be ahead on these things. Also dynamic business growth saying, we must have time for ourselves and understanding that we have these devices in our pockets that yes, can connect us 24 seven also is important to understand because the number of emails are not going to go away. They are not going to be reduced in any way, shape or form, but it is important to understand what is the company policy and what is your personal policy? What is what you are willing to do and not do and have those rules on the open for everybody? Yeah. And thinking about the the comment that Julie made, I mean, mandating that you are not to deal with work email outside of email. That's not where I'm going. It's 
you have to have the choice. If I decide that I am most productive at eight o'clock that on a Sunday night, and I want to respond to a bunch of emails, then I choose to do that because it's effective. But if you're mm-hmm. telling me that I get an email at 8am on a Sunday morning, and I need to respond by 9am, that's taking nothing into consideration for the most effective delivery of work and the highest quality of work. If, no, if no. And got, I think, and I think that's what the yeah. France legislation said is exactly that, that the company cannot say, if I send you an email, you can reply, but the company cannot expect that you are going to reply until business hours in the right way. That's the way it should be. Now there is a problem with this that we get into. It's not related to email, but when we start to look at technologies like chat and Slack and, or, Teams and Slack and things like that, you start to develop that same mindset. Hey, I sent you a chat and I can see when you're typing those lovely little three bubbles start coming. It's like, okay, you're going to respond. You're going to respond. You're going to respond. We have to say that up front. I'm very clear to anybody. You send me an email. I will respond to it when I get to it. That's the way it works. I'm not giving you any other timetable around it because I'm sorry, you're not the only thing in my inbox. And that's a clear expectation. But I also operate with that expectation. If I send you an email, I have a reasonable time period that you're not going to touch it. I don't expect you to get to that that day, maybe the next day, maybe two days. I will put in the email, hey, can you get back to me by a certain point if there's a time sensitivity to it? But it's a respect piece. And I think that's one of the things that gets lost in a lot of this is we lose that respect of the fact this is a communication. I mean, if you think about it now, when you get a phone call from someone, How many people just like, "Eh, why'd they call me? Because you feel like you must answer that right then. Although you have a lot of people that duck it to voicemail too. So There's a corollary to this, which is also operating from the perspective that you shouldn't be email responding uh, at every moment an email respond, uh, you know, shows up in your inbox. I think a lot of people see email arrive and it's the latest and loudest thing in, in a la David Allen. And they immediately jump on the email because it's this little dopamine kick they get to responding back to those emails. I try to group emails based on context so that I'm responding in line with the projects I'm working on at that time, not just because it's the one that just showed up. Now, I change that modality when I'm doing inbox processing, when I'm doing clarifying and organizing, uh, because then I know I'm going to get through all of the email in that inbox, but I will frequently take email out of the inbox and place it with the project so that I deal with those things in a uh, a greater context. Uh, that is, I know that I'm dealing with this project, so I'm thinking about all the parts of that project as opposed to Oh, it, it, you know, I have to switch gears every time I see another email throughout the course of the day. I see the email show up. I respond to it. And then I'm, I'm not responding uh, as my best me, right? I'm not responding with all of the pieces in front of me, all the reference items I need to make the right choices there. And I see people doing that all the time. And that is not the appropriate way to work. So even though maybe you're best at one particular time of the day, that also doesn't mean that you're your best you at that moment for that project. So kind of give those um, things a consideration as we move our way through. Okay, uh, next up is Augusto, your first favorite episode of our first 100. So I pick episode number 10, 010 for two reasons. The one is that was the first episode we recorded, four of us. Uh, so that, that, that has, you know, 
a particular significance, but also it was one episode on a topic that we repeat. The topic was the most productive smartphone. And when we start those discussions, there was a clear distinction between iOS and Android. And as we went from episode 10 to episode 100, all this thing has been getting closer and closer and closer to the point that even my recommendation that I will have done on episode 10 of, you know, get an iPhone now is what is the system you want and what you want to do with the system and whatever phone you pick, pick the rest of your devices. That will have been an advice I will give today, but it will be an advice that I will have not give on that episode 10. And that was something that I personally learned in this podcast and that I personally learned more about it, you know, fighting with Art and, and Ray and Francis. So it's a really episode that is special for me. Yeah, I definitely have to say that this episode is and I think if we recorded this today, it would be a completely different episode because I don't see the smartphone the same way. And and I think that's a good thing. I think that I've grown as a as someone who has been so uh, focused on just the task efficiency of the device. And, you know, now I have a greater appreciation for mobile productivity than we have and I have in the have had in the past. And, uh, and, and that's mostly, you know, because, uh, I, I think to a great extent that the technology, the application ecosystem has, has matured. Uh, but I think another part is just pushing me to using it, uh, more. Mm-hmm. And that has been a great, um, I think benefit of, of us being able to get together and, um, and have good rhetoric around these topics each week. I also sense that there has been a, a, a uh, less is more um, change in my my smartphone use. Where I am, I, I think long and hard now before and I, I add an app to my phone. Like I I I, re, I it's more than just the you know because when an app is presented to you, you think about the convenience and that's the number one thing you know number one consideration. But now nowadays, I ask myself, okay, how much time am I going to spend responding to notifications from this app? Do I really want to use it? The places where I carry my smartphone and don't have my laptop, do I want to be distracted by it? Is it a necessary uh, um, channel of communication or is it just a nice to have? Is it even a channel of communication or is it just an app that really should sit somewhere else? But because they made an app, therefore I put it on my phone. So my, my sort of criteria for deciding has changed completely. That conversation, that, that whole the argument that Augusto made in the beginning that there should be four things on your smartphone and nothing else like they were back in the 90s. You know, that, that the, the theory of four, four applications and nothing else is really required. The whole, that whole line of thinking, I think. I'll argue that Snake was a highly productive app. Thank you very much. So Snake. <laughs> Back on the Nokia's, man. Let's talk about flip phones. I I, uh, I love that episode that we covered uh, about this, and I love every time we revisit it because it helps me rethink my use of probably the most consistently used technology device I have. I laptops, Chromebooks, all that happy stuff. I don't go anywhere without my phone in it. That's just the thing. And I look at it as if I need information, it's there. If I need to do something, it's there. And the better I can use that tool, the better I am at what I need to do. And it really, it be, it has become now a way of me honing my skills to be able to utilize this fixed set of technology. Um, the other thing too is, I mean, it's been three years since we recorded that episode. I'm thinking we're pretty much at peak phone as it is. I mean, differences year to year right now, 
aren't as much as they used to be when it comes to phone devices. So we're looking more and more at what can we do with them the way they are, rather than waiting for a hardware or a major software change in the back end. Yeah, and it's interesting because it's now been a software games where you have Android with what I think, or Samsung, what I think is a brilliant DeX concept, and you have the other people trying to figure it out. I I still will continue saying that this, that DeX concept is brilliant. And it may happen that if I would change it from Apple, I don't think so. But if I change for Apple, that will be my, my route. Otherwise, I hope that Apple invents that pretty soon so we can have multiple screens. <laughs> yeah, definitely a great episode and one that we will certainly be revisiting uh, again in the future because uh, smartphone and mobile productivity, I think, is is the future for so many of us. And uh, and more importantly than that, uh, most of the people on the planet will be coming into computing today using a mobile device. You know, mm-hmm. if you think about all of the emerging, uh, you know, economies of the world, uh, they're not moving into, they're not being connected to the web on a laptop or a desktop computer. Uh, they'll, they'll, they think of those things as very foreign uh, and they'll be coming online with a smartphone. And that's really uh, remarkable. And we'll, we have a lot to, a lot to learn from that. Uh, we'll, we'll have so much to learn from a productivity perspective, how people stay efficient and become efficient uh, with, um, you know, connectivity on the mobile uh, perspective. Okay. Next up is uh, my first favorite episode of our first 100 episodes, and uh, that ends up being episode 20. Uh, episode 20, we covered the concept of valuing other people's time. And I really enjoyed this episode because, uh, one, it just feeds my pet peeves. <laughs> but, uh, but the reality is, is that I think more now than ever, uh, you know, there's no greater time in history when we should be valuing other people's time. And it was, I think, a really great episode because we covered all the various aspects. And I, and I think that it actually tested, uh, stands the test of time. Uh, you know, I, I listened to all 100 episodes in preparation for this 100th episode and, uh, or the first 99 episodes. Actually, we've recorded more than 100 as of the date of recording. Uh, so I actually, actually have listened to it. Um, hey there, Dr. Buck. Uh, Dr. Frank Buck is joining us and, and saying hello, hello. Um, and so, uh, welcome. And so the, the notion behind valuing other people's time, especially now, uh, more than any other time in history, as I was noting earlier, is that we have more leisure time uh, as the world progresses and we get into a sustainable uh, set of economies, even with this hiccup with COVID-19 and the economic recovery afterward, we are coming into one of the most stable economic periods of, of, of all time. And um, because of that, more people have, uh, you know, leisure time. And, and that's what a, a liberal life is, right? A free life is, is having more free time. What we do with that time is actually really important. And that means time becomes much more valuable uh, to all of us uh, in terms of how much time we spend on work, especially if we go, we move closer toward what I believe is the the true uh, uh, metric, which is performance, results, outcomes of our work, not the time we spend, not button chair time, but the time we spend uh, actually producing and having results for those for that work done. Uh, the more we do that, then the rest of the time has to be calculated, which means that you know if you're wasting my time, you're wasting truly my time, my time left on this planet. And I think there's no greater level of understanding of productivity than what you want to do with that time. And then ultimately valuing that time so that you can understand that from a, from a kind of a perspective outside of yourself. How do people on the other side of my 
um, a using or abusing that time? How do they see that? And, uh, and I just think that's just a really great message uh, to always be communicating uh, among the people with whom you connect. Yeah, it's fascinating to me thinking about this episode and, and talking about this when we recorded it, because we were in the thick of that. Everybody's working so fast and everybody's got a side hustle. And you know, and then the rules change. I mean, we hit March and, and the rules change. And now you had way more time than you did before. And you were trying to figure out, well, where did all this time come from? That was one of the first thing I noticed when, when the rules change was, why did why is this the case? And then I realized all these things that I was scurrying around to do just weren't happening. Anymore. But then I realized that just because that time's there doesn't mean it's not as value valuable as it was before. It is critically valued. Wasting time is something that I've actually started to develop more and more. I don't want to say of a guilt complex around, but a cognizant use of the time. If I've got an hour available, what can I do with that? What can I do with that effective rather than just, you know, futzing around and binging another series on Netflix? Uh, It's a different mindset now, but I think it's just as true when we recorded that initially as it is today. But I'm I'm also, um, because of the pandemic more cognizant of like you said every hour but it 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 feels more precious now i guess i guess it's because you know there are people there are people who are dying because of the the covid-19 virus and you know just having sort of danger around me or around us as a global community makes me very makes me way more careful I would say. Also not having to do things like you said. I, I include commuting as futzing mm-hmm. around, which is someone shared to me the other last week, week before, that they they used to have this set of meetings every Friday up at the Yoko University for this NGO. And it would take, you know, so someone like me would take me an hour and a half to drive there, an hour to present, and then an hour and a half to drive home. And I was very frank and I said, to be honest, if you had called me back then, I would have said no, because four hours to, to interact with a group that's not, you know, kind of small and far away. And four hours, really? Four hours now feels like an eternity mm-hmm. to do something like that. So I, I've gotten way more choosy and sort of very aware, I guess. It's interesting. There's a meme floating around that I, I find funny and it talks about, you know, we, we think about before the rules changed, how, you know, we've all said this at one point, oh, if I just had a week, I could get my house completely reorganized or I could completely rework my, my office if I just had a week at home. Guess what? We've had it. See, it wasn't a week on 2020. It wasn't another, no, any no, other week. No, because we, we all know a week in 2020 is like dog years. So but, but the thing is, is that it just, it turned out that it wasn't the actual time. It was the commitment to do the work and make it happen and and have those blocks fit into the right places. And for some of us, I know myself, just the fact that the time is available now makes me recognize the fact that probably I'm just not making the best use of it. Not the fact that I didn't have that time to work with at all. So yeah, it's, something it's that, more catalyzing. Yeah, and something that I've been very conscious about going back to kind of the email topic, but more importantly, in this space where I know that I'm fairly lucky, you know what I mean? In the sense that like, I can work from home, I don't have any issues with doing so. You know, there's there's some first world problems uh, with regard to working from home, you know, the dog may bark in the background and whatever else. But other people are working in very difficult environments at home. And uh, while we're in this work from home, hybrid remote working environment, and I'm trying to be sensitive to that. One thing that I've been doing is making sure that I time my emails because you can schedule email uh, now in most you know, email applications to go out at a time that you want it to. And that has helped me say, okay, I'm going to send uh, you know, my email while I'm writing it at, at Saturday night 
at five o'clock, I might uh, schedule to go out on Monday morning. And this is a practice I've had internally for a long time. But even in my personal life now, I've extended that where I've said, you know what, I'm not sure this person wants to receive this email right now, considering everything going on and uh, spending their weekend just kind of relaxing while during the week is very stressful where you're having to you know, juggle the kids and work and, you know, all the other things, uh, being able to time your email now is actually more, um, more important, I think, in valuing other people's time when I'm sending out those communique. And I think a little bit more about, you know, Google Messages is now rolling out a function where you can actually schedule your messages to go out. I'm thinking about that more now, uh, because now I can send a text message when it's going to be most appropriate for them to read it and not at 11 o'clock at night, just because that's when I'm, I'm sending it. So, uh, these features coming to the system are really going to help us get, uh, greater access to responses because we're capable of timing those messages outbound to people, uh, when they're going to be best able to, um, both deal with it emotionally, but also just from a time management perspective as well. I've had people tell me they were insulted by, by the fact that their boss sent them an email at 2 a.m. in the morning. Like they, they use that as evidence of like, look how crazy he or she is. I thought interesting. You know, they could, I, there's a repetitional risk for sending email at autos apparently. See, and this is one of the things that unfortunately so many people wind up being sheltered is they look at the fact that they're working in an environment where everybody's working within the same time zone as them. Um, I normally in the mornings, I will receive a number of emails because a good portion of the team I work with is based out of Poland. Well, I'm not going to fault them for sending emails when it's convenient for them. And it just happens to overlap with my time in the day. So if I'm getting emails at 7 a.m., the only person who's going to get bent out of shape about it is me. And that's my problem, not theirs. But you're absolutely right. I've called people on it. I used to have a coworker years ago who would send emails two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning. And the one day I call, I pinged him on it. I'm like, are you okay? I mean, you're up at three in the morning doing work. And he goes, I have a newborn. I work when I can. And I had no idea about that person's circumstance until I asked. And I think that's when we look at this, one of the things the pandemic has made us do is we have to be aware of each other's individual circumstances and find ways to work collaboratively within those circumstances. Uh, and I think that, uh, go sorry, ahead. No. And I think that's a massive difference. And that's an awareness that that has come because when people, when you assume most people was on their office or you assume everybody was on a, some form of an office, you assume everybody's conditions were different. Now with this, people has come to realize, oh, people have kids and issues and schedules and all this, you know, and they are coming more into or let it go, let it slide or coming to understand, okay, you're sending emails during the morning. Why? And things like what you described are happening. Mm -hmm. You're sending emails at 9 p.m. What is happening? Well, I have kids, okay, from 7 to 9, trying to fit them, shower, bedtimes mm -hmm. and all this. But now at 9, I finally get quiet and I can think. And I think one of the things that this pandemic has brought is that awareness for more people that yeah. oh conditions are not perfect or similar to mine or the same as mine and that has been something fantastic yeah it's it's one of those things that as we start to recognize it we have to hold on to it though it'll be easy to lose that perspective as things quote remove return to normal um the other thing i wanted to call out real quick though is this has taught me the importance of an hour and the value of an hour uh, i've been spending a lot of time thinking about okay what can i do in an hour and set a timer 
I'm going to start doing this. And it's basically like a fat Pomodoro. I'm going to set my hour and that's what I'm going to get done. So yeah, my life has become a fat tomato. I can live with that. But things like I have an hour at home, I'm going to go out and rake leaves. I'm not going to sit at the computer. I'm going to go do that. And when that's done, I'm going to come back in. Is if, if it's finished at the hour, great. If it's not finished, okay. But at least I've made some progress. But being being present in the same place at the same time, I lose the excuse of transit. Well, I have to go there to do this. I have to go there to do that. So I won't actually do it. That's not an excuse anymore. So I have to say, all right, how do I keep this ball rolling? There's so many different aspects to this and so many different pieces. But again, it's that value. Not only valuing each other's time, but valuing our own. So two things. One is for the people who are listening, who is on his bingo board for 2020, have Fat Tomato as a goal for 2020. <laughs> but the second thing, and, and and Julie said us in the chat, you know, we need to stop thinking of email as if they were phone call. The expectation should be that received and handled in the way of convenience of the recipient. In the same way you used to receive paper mail, okay? I used to get to the office and you get all this paper. Now it's coming between the email and and the Slack and the things. And interestingly enough, one of the things on which I invest a lot of time when I'm doing coaching is to teaching people to manage and handle these notifications. You know, beginning of the school year, I went to my kids' school and teach the teachers how to manage those notifications because honestly, they didn't know. And there was one teacher who come and say, I stopped checking my email because I could not handle, you know, the 30 kids notification per work, per homework, plus the additional things. So I was getting 300 emails a day. I just simply decided not to open anymore that. And I worked with her getting her notifications in control and she was fine. So we need to get into understanding that part. Understanding email is not a phone call. Email is not something that you receive and you need to respond in that second. As no, it's not a Slack, as it's not a text. If you need a response now, you need to use something different. Email is something, same as a text, same as a Slack that you're sending to me so I can manage through my system at the convenience of the recipient within reason. I have to get up on my soapbox for just a moment. I was just doing a search. Uh, George is asking if we've done an episode on timeboxing slash Pomodoro. Can can somebody answer that question? Uh, look up that question on productivitycast.net for me while I answer while I get on my soapbox for a moment, which is to say that I am uh, uniquely aware of the, uh, the golden rule and uh, I am on an ongoing battle against it. Um, do unto others as they would have done unto you uh, is, uh, is I think, obtuse. It, it sounds like an American came up with that concept. Uh, <laughs> um, do unto others as they would have done unto themselves, which requires you to actually go out there and ask people how they work best. Ask them how they communicate best. And get in dialogue, get in right relationship with those people, and you will be more productive and more efficient. And I find this problem constantly uh, in my own personal life, because I try to express to people how I best work. I explain to them how I best am able to do things. And then they explicitly uh, deny that reality, that somehow I'm going to do what they want just because uh, of the way in which they want me to do those things. Uh, and that's not how I operate. And I never will. I'm too stubborn. And um, And to be quite honest, that's how I 
I limit my work in progress, a la personal Kanban. Uh, so I think it's really imperative that we learn this lesson during the COVID-19 pandemic, that we go out there and we act with compassion. We go to people and we ask them how they best would like something to be done. I don't like this notion either, by the way, uh, not that any of you are uh, potential romantic partners, but I don't like it when romantic partners come to you and say, oh, you know, um, I can just um, uh, think what my partner wants and and they and I can and I can do it. And, you know, this whole thing that somehow uh, romantic partners can can um, somehow summon, uh, you know, kind of like envision what you want and do it for you. Ask, just ask, ask your romantic partners in the world what they want. Give them what they explicitly ask for. That will help your relationships. And if you don't uh, trust me, just trust, you know, Dr. Gottman and, uh, you know, doctors Gottman and the rest of the, you know, marriage experts out there. The reality is, is that the half of you who are getting divorced out there, uh, it's not happening because you have great abilities to, um, you know, foresee what your partners want. It's because you're not asking them what they want. Uh, so, uh, you know, back to the whole point of this conversation, which is other people's uh, time and the value of other people's time. We need to get over this notion that somehow we know what other people best want. You don't know what I want and you don't know what other people want until we tell you. And and I think that's so important to us getting um, over this hump of how to be more efficient and effective in an environment. It, it comes down to us asking everyone. Does anybody have a, an answer for George? Episode 24. Thank you. Episode 24. So if you go to ProductivityCast, wonderful, ProductivityCast.net forward slash zero two four and you will go ahead and uh, get that um yes julie vestry is noting uh, there's a whole dichotomy between the ask and guest culture and i i find it to be obtuse and absurd and and we need to get over this concept uh and uh and get to uh you know from the golden rule to to what we know now kind of coin as the diamond or platinum rule uh you know dr alessandro has coined it as the platinum rule and uh but this you know dates back to uh, the classics, the ancient Greek, uh, concepts of this, of this notion. Uh, but anyway, the, that, that is absolutely true. Okay. Um, we've got time for a few more, um, uh, items from our last 100 episodes. I'm going to, uh, pick on you, Art, and, uh, and then you, Francis, to, to give us our last two episodes. So, Art, what was your, uh, second choice for favorite episodes among our top 100. This is another one out of the back catalog from November of 2017. And this is episode 19, Maker, Manager, and the Artist's Productivity. I thought this one, this is one that I think everyone should revisit multiple times because it's some deep thinking around not doing tasks, not doing specific actions, but what is the actual mental makeup of the type of productivity that you're striving for in the environment that you are. And to give some context around it, if I were to think about myself, I fit into each one of these categories on a daily basis, whether it's a manager helping others coordinate their work, whether it's a maker where I'm taking care and producing something and often producing it in a repetitive type of con or type of uh, process or down to an artist where it's a truly creative approach. The productivity techniques and the tools and the approaches are different depending on each one of those hats that you wear. And we, we often lose sight of that. We try to apply the same cookie cutter approaches to every one of these. And we wonder why it never works across all three because well, it's not gonna, it's not designed to. We have to think about what is the end goal objective and then work within that objective and within these 
particular classes, for lack of a better term, of work. Uh, when I think about it, I'll give a related context to it. I like to do a lot of woodwork and go out to the workshop. That is a maker kind of mode in most cases, where I'm doing a, a repetitive production type of work. But if I'm trying to design something out there, I can't have the same goals and objectives that I do when I'm making things. And it's one of those pieces that once we started to discuss this, and I looked at this after episode nine, I realized that I was sabotaging myself by not putting my hat on properly. And it is really, I love this episode. This come from a brilliant article of Paul Graham. But one of the things that is interesting from the moment we record episode 019 to now is that at the time we record that two years ago, three years ago, it was still clear for a lot of people when you were the maker, when you were the manager, when you were not. And in in an additional challenge, those two things for a lot of people has been mixing that make this episode even more relevant and more critical. Because if you don't understand that sometimes you are both, you are the maker, part of your responsibilities at work are for the maker and part of your responsibilities at work are the manager responsibilities. And even inside that same role, you need to learn to manage differently. Otherwise, the struggle will come and otherwise the suffering will come. It makes that episode even more interesting. Yeah, something that I want to explore is kind of, uh, I'm sorry that we're, we're running out of time. So I want to, I'm, I'm going to cut us off there, um, in terms of our discussion of past episodes and kind of talk a little bit about the future. One of the things that I really want all of us to do on the productivity cast team is to kind of explore more of our own, uh, thoughts, uh, on productivity. There, there are so many different, uh, um, you know, things that we have come up with over the years. And I think that it will be kind of an exciting time in 2021 and maybe into 2022, where we get a chance to really discuss some of these uh, deeper thoughts that we have on the on on not just time management, but on uh, energy management on the notions of um, optimizing and so and so forth. Uh, Francis, were, were you serious and wanting to do some shout outs? Were, were this a- <laughs> okay. Sorry, we have a little private message before and I was not sure. Uh, but, uh, but shout out to the spouses. Um, anyway, uh, but um, are there any um, big ticket items, gentlemen, that you would like to see in future Productivity Cast episodes? Anything that comes to mind? I know that I certainly want to talk more about the maker, manager, and artist role because I have myself thought about and beyond those roles and uh, and certainly uh, wanting to explore what those really mean. And, and I have my own very, I think, um, set in stone so far, um, moldable, it's soapstone, uh, moldable stone, but um, I have them fairly set in stone now in terms of these extension of these roles, in terms of how you be how you can be more productive. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts about other future productivity topics that you're looking forward to. Yeah, I have one. Um, I, I made a, a- or rather, Skedpal made a shift from being an, a separate app to being a, within the browser app. And I, I'd always suspected that it would help, but it made a huge difference to my workflow. And that made me wonder about the larger question, that when you fit an, an app that calls for new behaviors into existing behaviors, how much of a difference it makes to the individual's productivity? But I don't think app designers think that through and we also don't think it's through when we're thinking of speak for yourself. Technology. <laughs> no, I, number, my number one. <laughs> if you were all software developers, understand that when me. you develop a new piece of software and you come to me and say, hey, would you like to use that? If it does not already integrate in my ecosystem, 
it's a non-starter, right? That's just a non-sequitur to the whole experience. I cannot change all of my productive behaviors for your one application. And that is a, that's a huge, huge hit um, to my overall productivity, and it's not even worth testing. And I see so many people coming across that problem. So that's a, a point we'll, we'll definitely want to explore in a future episode. So technology on a whole, not just yeah. apps, but all technologies, yeah. including smartphones, new devices, all of them. Yeah. Art? Yeah. yeah, to me, the, the thing I want to look at is the cost of product. And it's not the, not the financial costs, but the costs personally, professionally, relationship. We, we talk about getting things done. Well, there's a price tag. And what's that price tag that we're willing to pay? And how do we mitigate that? I think that needs to be explored a little bit more deeply when we think about the impacts. So I'm looking forward to digging into that further as we get into some of these other conversations. Same here. I, I really enjoy the rabbit trails. And and one of the things that this episode 100 produced for me was the want to revisit some of those old episodes where really things has changed radically in two or three years. And it will be really fantastic to bring it back and discuss together. We need a debunk episode. <laughs> Or at least productivity. Debunk. Yeah. Pet peeves episode. Um, Bloopers. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> no, that's every episode. Yeah. <laughs> I try to edit those out. Even on the even on the live 100, we did the blooper in the first three seconds. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Thank you, guys. <laughs> All right. Um, I just want to express my thanks to Augusta Pinaud, Francis Wade, and Art Gelwicks. Um, you guys uh, put up with me and allow me to be able to um, put out these episodes each and every week. And so I really thank you for uh, the first 100, and I look forward to our next 100 episodes uh, together. And so thank you, um, really, genuinely thank you for uh, joining me each week on Productivity Cast. Well, anybody who, who listens to this, needs to appreciate the amount of work that you put in, Ray, to make this happen. I mean, the the three of us who sit in here filling these little boxes on the screen, we have the easiest job on the planet. Augusto's probably only second in this because he's got to work more directly on getting stuff put together. But I, I do mean, nothing. Ray, yeah, <laughs> Francis and I, we're just, I just pretty saw. faces. We're just pretty faces. We we bring the charm and the appearance, and that's better. Well, thank you, Art. Yeah. So. <laughs> That's true too. Yeah, there you go. But there is no question that Ray, you make this happen. You are the lifeblood of productivity, productivity cast, and it wouldn't be around without you. So thank you so much for making thank this you, happen. Ray. For I agree, hundred percent. You're, you're welcome. And thank you, gentlemen. And so uh, with that, uh, thank you to our live audience today. This has been a, a real treat to be able to see everybody uh, commenting in the chat and engaging with us. Uh, this is what we want to engage in our offline discussions because of the podcast nature of it and and you not being able to listen in real time all the time. Uh, my dog is excited about your uh, about uh, Productivity Cast too. Uh, so uh, what, what, I, what I want everyone to know is that the conversation doesn't stop here. If you have a question or a comment about about what we've discussed during this episode, you can always visit, or any episode, you can always visit productivitycast.net, uh, look through the uh, episode list, and you can find that episode and comment directly there on the podcast website. Uh, we have a comment section. You can leave a comment or question. We're always happy to read and respond to those uh, when you when you leave them. Uh, as well, if you have a topic you'd like to hear in the next 100 episodes of Productivity Cast, uh, head over to productivitycast.net forward slash contact. You can actually voice record leave a voice message for us as well as type a message into the box and uh, maybe we'll feature that uh, comment, question, or topic uh, 
in a future episode. Uh, so uh, with that, uh, I want to express again my thanks to Augusto Pinaud, Francis Wade, and Art Gelwix for joining me on this Productivity Cast 100 Live. And uh, you can learn more about them by visiting their websites. They're all linked to on productivitycast.net. Just click on the <laughs> We Are About Us page and you'll be able to find them. Uh, I'm Ray Sidney Smith. And on behalf of all of us here at Productivity Cast, here's to your productive life. Here's to the next 100 episodes. Take care, everybody.